Being a chef means keeping your cool in the kitchen. And with Resi Priority Notify and Global Dining Access through my Amex Platinum card, right this way, it's nice to try someone else's food for a change. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow the global story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet. That's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. They are Sports Illustrated. It's amazing. This incredible body of work. I really appreciate the integrity. Everything you do is well done. You guys do a great job. We love it. What can we say? He's Chris Mannix. He's employed by Sports Illustrated. The announcer's got it in for me. There you go. This is the Crossover NBA Podcast. You have a problem with it? Build a team that can beat them. Hosted by the one and only. Oh, thank God. Thank God. Chris Mannix. All right, welcome back to another episode of the Crossover NBA Podcast. On this episode, we're going to get into the Lakers' new layer of dysfunction, the Raptors, their Kawhi Leonard gambit. Look ahead to the NBA Finals, the Warriors, their next move, and what is going on right now with the Houston Rockets. As always, best way to support this podcast, head over to Apple Podcasts, post a comment, leave a rating. It's simple, it's easy, it's free. It's the best way to make sure that we keep doing this podcast week after week. Also, check out my new SITV show, In the Paint. New episode is going to be up this week. I'm joined by Nick Wright from First Things First, Jeff Zilga from USA Today. We've got a great panel discussion uh, about the Raptors and certainly about the Lakers uh, as well. Joining me here on the podcast, you've heard him here several times before, Rohan Ned Carney joining me here in studio. What's up, man? Uh, Chris, you know, it's been a couple weeks since we've done this. You know, when I ask you what's up, you don't always have to, like, tell me, like, you know. Yeah, but, say, not much, man. Hey, no, but hey, I, it's, it's I just, right. I usually have a thing that I want to discuss at the top. Okay, good. And this is the only time you will ever speak to me, so it feels like there's no other early opportunities for me to address these kinds of issues. Other times, are there other, like, I live in Boston, man. We just <laughs> talk about, you're, you know, you're this, this gruff guy around the office. 
I f- are you not? I am kind of perpetually. Are that you way. are you not seeing my tweets, or do you just choose not to respond to them every time? Which ones? I tweet at you occasionally, usually a joke about your outfit or something along those yes, lines. Yes, but why would I respond to that? It, like I, just, I don't see all of them, but I I generally don't respond to to just, trolls. You just know? you know, like, just even an acknowledgement, maybe if just so like, I, <laughs> just so I know that you're you're aware of the banter that's taking place, and not you know. I, that that's it. That's it. Just so you know, just an awareness that that there's an exchange occurring would be nice. I'm not a big banter on social media. I see. Not a, okay. Well, not I mean, I see thing. you bantering with other SI who people. Do I, who do I banter with? I mean, Lee Finer is you know receive on the receiving some banter. Well, but I like dig into Lee. Like I take shots. I at see. Lee. I see. Okay. Other than that, I don't think I banter with anybody. All right. Fine. Not a lot of banter. All right. No banter not, in the office. No banter. No banter. No, at all. That's just true. Did. You're very anti-banter. That's right. <laughs> yeah. Uh, all right. Let's jump into the Lakers stuff. ESPN dropped their story this week, the anticipated kind of deep dive into all things Lakers. Uh, there were some parts, Rohan, I thought that were interesting. Uh, you had Rob Palenka maybe making up a story about Kobe Bryant meeting with uh, Heath Ledger. Heath Ledger, you know, which apparently he said happened after he saw The Dark Knight, which is, is impossible. Heath Ledger died before The Dark Knight uh, came out. You have Magic Johnson, not a good look for him. The associates of LeBron James, not a good look for them. Overall, it painted a pretty big picture of dysfunction within the Laker organization. After reading that story, what were your uh, immediate takeaways? Okay, my immediate takeaway was, was this literally the first time in NBA history that an agent has complained to the commissioner about the head coach of his player's team? Rich Paul approaching Adam Silver and saying he wasn't a fan of Luke Walton has that literally happened in the NBA before? I just need to know. I also want to know, did Rich Paul know that Mav Carter and Adam Silver were getting lunch and he just decided he was going to get a table at the same restaurant a few tables away? That story, I don't know why we're not talking about that more. On a more serious note, my immediate takeaway was it's insane how we, we didn't know the specifics, but we knew there was dysfunction within this organization. The Lakers obviously knew that this story was being worked on. Magic Johnson referenced it the night he resigned. That with all this out there, the Lakers have taken zero steps to fixing things. Uh, You know, we can sit here and criticize. We don't like the process with our coaching search. We don't know who's in charge. And to a degree, we're kind of removed from it. This, This removed any curtain of maybe we don't have a clear idea of what's going on behind the scenes. We know what's going on behind the scenes here. And it's crazy to me that Jeannie Buss has no desire to put, you know, the professional infrastructure of an organization in place. And and that is kind of just what, what really stays with me about the Lakers is there's all this potential there, but they, they, they just don't have a single adult in the room. Yeah, and it was, it, it peeled back some of the layers on stuff that, thanks to some original reporting by others, thanks to Magic Johnson's public comments, we kind of had a bit of an awareness of. Now, the one thing I think people were wondering about with this story was, would it expose a hostile work environment? Would it expose harassment of some kind right. of employees? Right. It didn't really do that. It and, and look, that wasn't maybe that wasn't the intention overall. It's what was the speculation going into uh, our, what was everything around that story. All we got out of that was that Magic Johnson was a bit of a gruff boss, uh, that apparently yelled at one employee for screwing up a car service 
and that employee was so bothered by it or the fallout from it led to her taking you know anti-anxiety medication or, or some of that that's i feel bad for the employee but i'm not sure i blame magic johnson for that plight and, and look i asked around to other executives in the league and asked them about that specific part and they said you know too bad you know it's if you make a mistake, you yell, that's, that's kind of the cost of doing business in a professional organization. Nor do I care that much about all the turnover that the Lakers have had within their front office. Their front office was bad. Like when Magic Johnson and Rob Palenka took over, they were bad. And they were like four years running of being bad. So there's going to be turnover when you have people that have not proven they are very good at their jobs and a new front office comes in. All that being said, one thing I, I have written and talked about at length was that Magic and Rob Palenka did not have a great infrastructure around them. They didn't have a deep well of assistant GMs or head scouts or some of the infrastructure that, say, the team across the hall has, Los Angeles Clippers, with Michael Winger and Trent Redden. I mean, they've got legitimate NBA ex- top-level NBA executives working as underlings to Lawrence Frank out there. Lakers don't have that. And most successful teams do have that. You look back at what the Spurs, the Spurs just got poached again, this time by Sean Marks, again, for a new assistant GM in his organization. They have got great depth of talent at the executive level. The Lakers, for whatever reason, never felt the need to do that. Now, I have heard some people suggest to me that maybe Rob Palenka didn't want to have a top-level guy underneath him because it might expose him to a degree. It might create a, a rival underneath him there i'm not sure if that's necessarily true but also guess what rob blink has been exposed yeah i mean well he's been exposed to a degree because all the 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 nitpicking about the draft the fact is in two years lakers vets are pretty good drafts like they we don't know what's gonna happen that comes out of this current draft or the most recent draft rather but we do know that lonzo ball is probably going to be a starting level point guard maybe not higher than that but a starting level point guard kyle kuzma was a great pick josh hart was an excellent pick so, you know, like if they're running the draft the wrong way and they're getting it right, whatever. You know, their trades and the guys that they sign as free agents, that's open season there. But the draft itself is is just fine. But the Lakers need to have infrastructure. They need to have a lot of guys there that have experience in what they're doing. We didn't mention Jerry West, who's working for the Clippers right now in an advisory role as well. Lakers should look at the Clippers as a model, and they're not doing that. And this this story kind of exposed a lot of that. Yeah, I mean I've said it on this podcast. I've said it on Crossover TV. I, I've said it in things I've written for Sports Illustrated. What are Rob Palinka's qualifications other than being Kobe Bryant's agent? Now, I understand other agents have you know worked in front offices and and had success. I just don't get Rob Palinka, man. I don't understand how he's earned so much trust. I mean, you mentioned the draft. I get that, but they they missed on every free agent signing outside of LeBron James, which, frankly, I give Magic Johnson the credit for, not Rob Palenka. I mean, they were laughed at some Or the of these, state of California or the city of Los Angeles credit for. Yeah, you know, I mean, for sure. He I'm, was going for different reasons. Right, and, you know, the moves he made were laughable. I mean, the Zubach trade, just little things like that on the margins. I And now he's basically just assumed the, the vacuum that, you know, Johnson left. He's kind of assumed that role. It, it's a total mess. Another thing that sticks with me about this is what in the world was LeBron James thinking? And and what is he thinking now? Did he have any idea of this level of dysfunction within the organization? Did he know and not care? Does he care that Rich Paul is seemingly, you know, adding to this dysfunction? 
does he want to finish his career for an organization like this? It blows my mind that someone could have been so focused on winning for so long and still be so talented that he could drag that Cleveland team that he did to the finals and all of a sudden pivot to his off-court interest so quickly. I, I don't begrudge him for wanting to live in L.A. I think that's great, but I just, I'm so, I would love to know what he truly feels about all this dysfunction and if he's starting to regret a little bit, you know, hitching his wagon to the Lakers because, again, wild stuff can happen this summer. Maybe Kyrie Irving really does want to sign there, whatever, whatever, whatever. I just have to imagine on some level LeBron is like, yo, what the hell is going on here? Yeah, there's a lot they can still do this offseason, but most of it's probably going to have to come via trade because the timing of this story is not great. With free agency set to open up on July 1st, the Lakers already not at the top of the top-tier free agents wish list, um, and now they have all this dysfunction going on around them. But they still can make deals uh, via trade where you might be able to go get Bradley Beal once things settle down in Washington. Give up some of your young players to go do that. Maybe you can get a second-tier free agent. All of a sudden, you've got LeBron, free agent X, let's just say it is Jimmy Butler. It wouldn't work well with Bradley Beal, but let's say it's somebody like that. And a Bradley Beal on your team. All of a sudden, you're in the playoffs, and you put LeBron in the playoffs, uh, I guess anything uh, could ultimately happen, but it's just it's just an overall bad, bad look for this team, and it just exposes them as very amateuristic at a time when they don't need to look like this. Now, it does underscore that when Magic Johnson quit, they had an opportunity to blow Rob Plank out and start this whole thing right, over. Yeah. And that's what kind of everybody said, and sometimes the mob actually is right. Sometimes what everybody's saying actually is what you should do. And the Lakers, and I said this and wrote this, that... You know, go out there and offer $20 million to Sam Presti. Offer $20 million to R.C. Buford. Offer $20 million to Masai Ujiri. Dare them to turn down this opportunity with LeBron James on the team and all that money. I'm not sure. In fact, I know that not all of them, at least one of them would have said yes. I'll say that. At least one of them, I think, would have said yes. The other part I want to get to, and look, when other agents gripe about another agent, I don't read too much into it. It's, it just, it's the nature of the beast. They're all... They're all fighting for their own guys, and they all want to make the other one look bad. That being said, there, there's a lot in there about the influence that Rich Paul tries to wield within that organization that is concerning and a lot that I believe. You know, the the Luke Walton stuff. It was an open secret. He complained to the commissioner of the NBA. I'm saying beyond what was written, right. it was an open secret all year long that LeBron James's people did not want Luke Walton on that job. They didn't want him there. They wanted somebody else. They wanted Ty Lue in that position. That was their number one choice, which Baxter Holmes uh, covered it. But it just, again, it, it, it reinforces to me that the best way to handle LeBron James is how Miami handled him. The Miami Heat said, you're a player. We're going to help make you better. We're going to win championships, but you're a player. You didn't see any of the nonsense that's gone on in Cleveland twice and now in L.A., going on in Miami. You didn't see multiple guys that are in LeBron's camp on the payroll in in Miami like they were in in LA. Now, the argument made that LeBron's earned that right, like he is a money-making machine for you know for whoever has him on the roster. He makes teams relevant and he offers the opportunity to win a championship. So allowances should be made. But Miami from day 1, really from like I'd say like month 1 or 2 when it became very clear that LeBron did not want Eric Spolstra on that team, that the same kind of stuff was starting to go around. Pat Riley had Eric Spolstra's back. 
They settled all that. They squashed it. And he just became a player. And he won two championships and became a better player. He became more of a post player in Miami. He learned how to kind of reshape his body down in Miami. There's a lot he gained from all that. But it seems like from now to whenever his career is over, be it the Lakers or otherwise, there's always going to be these influencers behind the scenes that are associated with LeBron James. And that is not good for anybody. That is is telling every member of that roster that LeBron runs the show. He decides who coaches the team. He decides what personnel moves are made. And LeBron can scoff at it all he wants because I don't think he really wants to be the general manager. But this is how things are. This is like what was written in that story, I believe, to be completely accurate. I believe that is how things are with you know LeBron, the people around him, and when it comes to, to influence on basketball decisions. Okay, so a few things. First of all, you're speaking my language. You don't... No one needs to convince me to tell me that the Miami Heat were, you know, a huge positive for LeBron James. I don't think he should have ever left the Heat. I think his career would be better if he never left the Heat. Uh, I felt that way for a long time, but I also grew up in South Florida. I I do want to ask you something because you would probably have better insight to this than me. Does LeBron want Ty? Does does LeBron and his people want Ty Lue to be coach because they feel like they can control Ty Lue? Is it just the the relationship is that much better? I think the relationship, I think the fact that he's an ex-player plays into all that. Uh, it's why there was some interest back in the Cleveland days and having Mark Jackson mm. be the coach of that team, which would have been a disaster. Uh, but I think that has something to do with it. The relationship he's built and the respect he has for Ty Lue because of how he played the game, which doesn't bode well, by the way, for Frank Vogel. No, I mean, Frank Vogel was lame duck. <laughs> we all know that. I just think LeBron really needs to get a lid on this stuff and I'm big on player empowerment. I, I think that players, especially someone of his stature, I don't begrudge the kind of role he has, but there is a debate as to how successful it is. You see the other superstars of this era or the other superstars LeBron has kind of gone head-to-head with multiple times, Tim Duncan, Steph Curry, guys who embodied what their coaches you know, practiced and preached and guys who had long careers playing for the same coach I think that helps them, and LeBron has just missed out on that. And you know, you see Isaiah Thomas saying stuff like, "LeBron's never played for a Hall of Fame coach." I mean, I think he had that. that is, in, I, he had that in Miami. He had Frank. that. That I I hate, and that's not just Isaiah saying that stuff. It's others. I hate that narrative because it, it's it doesn't take into account the fact that well, was Pat Riley a Hall of Fame coach when he took over coaching Magic Johnson? No. Was Phil Jackson a Hall of Fame coach when he took over coaching the Bulls after Doug Collins was ousted? No. Same thing with Eric Spolstra. Eric Spolstra, I'm not sure if he's there yet, but he's like you know, 46, 47 years old. Yeah. He's probably going to get there as far as being a Hall of Fame coach. It's the same dynamic. I don't know why, and, and I, I'm less familiar with what Chuck... I don't, I don't think Chuck Daly was a Hall of Fame coach before he got in, onto the Pistons and started coaching that team. These are... He's got a Hall of Fame coach. He had a Hall of Fame coach on that team. Let's not discount what Eric Spolstra is as an NBA coach because it doesn't take into account what these other coaches were before they had their hands on a Magic, on a Michael, and on a uh, Joe Dumars, Isaiah Thomas team. Yeah, without a doubt. I, I think I'm wondering how LeBron's going to take all this, if, if it's going to make him angry, whatever, but he's got to find a way to get a lid on all this because it's one thing for him to be doing all this and dragging Cleveland to the finals, it's another, you know, entirely when his team's not even making the playoffs. Yeah, I'm not sure. He, and look, and, and now is a more difficult time because he can't drag a team to the finals anymore. I don't believe. Like, I just don't think he's, at his age and how his skills, especially defensively, have deteriorated, 
he needs more help more than ever. And to get it, you have to look functional. The Lakers, uh, they just don't look functional. All right, let's move on to a team that does look functional. The Toronto Raptors, they win game six of the conference finals, knock Milwaukee out of the playoffs. They're going to the first NBA finals in franchise history. The bold move that Masai Ujiri made 10 months ago in acquiring Kawhi Leonard, it has paid off. It's paid off big time. They're going to the finals. Who knows what happens to Kawhi Leonard? We'll get to that in a second. But does this finals trip, Rohan, validate the Raptors going out and trading for him regardless of what happens in July? Well, Chris, I'm glad you asked this question because I actually answered it in a column I wrote after Game 6 of the Eastern Conference Finals. I think that trade was worth it no matter what Kawhi does. I mean, the fact that you've made uh, your first finals as a franchise, I think what it does is even if the event that Kawhi leaves, I think it opens the door for a superstar in the future to be like, you know what, Kawhi went there, he gave it a shot, you know, maybe he wanted to live in L.A., but he was able to have a lot of success. You know, that organization did all it could. I don't think Kawhi is going to have anything bad to say about the Raptors in the event that he leaves. I, I think that no matter what happens in the summer with him, Toronto's going to come out of this looking really good, looking like a place where a superstar can go and thrive. And, and that's important. I mean, look, Anthony Davis, New Orleans isn't a bad city. It's, you know, mid-market, whatever. They're going to—they— came out of that situation looking to me like they had a lot of time with Anthony Davis to make it work and they couldn't you know the Raptors in one year really went all in I mean it wasn't just Kawhi it was getting rid of a guy like Jonas Valanciunas and DeLon Wright to make the Marc Gasol trade I mean Gasol has been great for them in these playoffs so far uh they really pushed their chips in so I, in that sense I think it's going to be worth it not just because of their current success that they're having right now you know by making it to a finals with a legitimate chance to win uh, a final series but I think it's just going to bode well for this organization in the future amongst everyone else around the league. Their perception has improved a lot uh, because of what they've done with Kawhi, which is important considering that it, they maybe took a little bit of a hit by trading DeRozan in the first place. I think their perception is, look, Masai Ujiri is one of the few general managers who is putting his money where his mouth is. Every GM says championships are all we care about. They all say we're a championship-driven organization. But when it comes time to make a deal like this, which has the potential to lead to a massive rebuilding project uh, beginning next season, not a lot of GMs have the appetite for it. Masai Ujiri did. He made this deal, and now they're headed to the finals. And look, even if Kawhi Leonard walks, I'm not convinced yet that he's going to. I think it's more likely than not that he does, but I don't think it's a done deal by any stretch. Um, if, if he walks, it still has enormous value because the team that was currently constituted they weren't winning a championship. And given what we've seen, the way the Eastern Conference has unfolded, they weren't getting to the NBA Finals. You know, DeMar DeRozan on that team doesn't beat Philadelphia in the second round. That's a second-round exit. So in my opinion, one Finals trip is worth three years of getting beat in the Conference Semis. One Finals trip is worth three consecutive 57-59 to 59 win seasons and trips to the Conference Semis Finals. And if they can find a way to beat Golden State... I don't care if they rebuild the next five years. Like, that is worth it. You won a championship. You rolled the dice. And this isn't like a, a you know Florida Marlins situation where you just like acquired a bunch of guys, spent a bunch of money. Let's not take shots at the Marlins. No, I mean, you rolled the dice. And yeah, yeah, I know. You rolled the I, dice there. And you, it makes sense. You, you, you made a bold move, and you got some results out of it. I, I think it absolutely validates that decision by Masai Ujiri. And look, they're not... You know, look, they know the landscape, and they know what 
LA can offer both in lifestyle and in what's around them and like the, the, the type of team they could put around Kawhi Leonard. But they're hoping that these moments resonate with him. The Game 7 ball bouncing around moment in front of 20,000 fans. They hope that resonates. Winning at home in Game 6, 20,000 fans. They hope that resonates. Now, Kawhi's a fickle guy. I'm not really sure what to make of him, uh, what matters to him, what doesn't. But they're doing everything they possibly can to convince him that Toronto's where he wants to be long term. Yeah, without a doubt. I, I do think the Raptors have kind of shown – they've shown more than what Oklahoma City showed Paul George, in my opinion, uh, just with the success they've had, uh, the nature of their fan base, everything. It's going to be so interesting to see what Kawhi does this summer. It's crazy to me that we've reached this part – this place in player movement where team success – almost doesn't matter to some guys. Uh, we're seeing it with Kyrie to some extent with Boston, although maybe the way that season ended gives him a little bit of an out. But Kawhi is just going to be a, an interesting test case, I, I think, for the future about how we kind of react to guys who seemingly leave you know, very good situations for them. Let's say the Raptors lose in five games to the Warriors, but Durant leaves. Uh, this Kawhi Raptors team would maybe be the favorite next year. It's just... It's going to be really interesting to see how the summer plays out and just kind of what domino effect a decision like his would have on other guys moving forward. I think the next question, too, is will this embolden another team that we're not talking about to take a shot at Anthony Davis? Anthony Davis is what Paul George was two years ago, is what Kawhi Leonard was last summer, a superstar entering the last year of his contract. Does another team try to take the Paul George-Kawhi Leonard roll at the dice and go and get Anthony Davis. Now, the circumstances, they've got to be special. I mean, Oklahoma City, when they went out and rolled the dice on Paul George, they needed to convince Russell Westbrook that they were doing everything they can. They Because remember, Russell Westbrook did not sign that contract extension, the long-term one, until after Paul George was acquired. So they needed to do something. Same thing with Toronto. They kind of saw this sort of team that was good but not great. A lot of guys tied to long-term contracts. And I think there's a part of Masai Ujiri that if they do have to rebuild, rebuilding would be better than what they were. Like building something up from the bottom around Fred Van Vliet and Siakam and some of the younger guys on that roster, that's better than just being kind of this this, this good but not great team. So if, if there's another team out there, I don't think Boston's it. I think the Celtics will only go and get them if Kyrie decides to come back. But is there an, might there be another team out there? That's what I'm going to be watching for You know, come early to mid-July. If somebody says, you know what? We're, we're, we're good, we're not great, we got to go out there and try to go get uh, an Anthony Davis. Maybe the Blazers, maybe the Blazers. That could if be interesting. Do you think the Pelicans would immediately say no to a Russell Westbrook for Anthony Davis swap? Probably, probably. I don't I don't know what that, I mean, I guess you pair Russell and Zion, yeah, yeah. but but Russell now, what's he, 30? Right, it's, yeah. It's, it's a difficult one, it's a difficult needle thread there. All right, let's talk about the finals uh, from the Warriors' perspective. Kevin Durant uh, traveling with the team to Toronto. That was big. I didn't expect that. Yeah. Uh, DeMarcus Cousins, I guess, questionable at this point as we record this podcast uh, for game one. So it seems like they're going to have all their guys at some point during this series. Kawhi is getting some rest. We'll see how that knee holds up uh, as they enter the series. But it, where is the path to victory here for the Toronto Raptors? I mean, the 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 Warriors have been great. They scuffled a little bit in that first round. But since then, they have been excellent. They knock off the Rockets. They knock off the Blazers. What's the path to victory? How does Toronto get a win in this series? Uh, to be frank, I think Toronto's path to victory is Durant being injured and not being able to play or coming back and looking like a shell of himself. I, I think the way the Warriors are constructed right now, 
they're a worse version of the team that lost to the Cavs in the 2016 finals. I don't know if Toronto is at its best, good at that, as good at that Cavs team at its best, but it has more depth. It has more defensive flexibility. The way I look at it is this. If Durant is out, you know, Kawhi in the fourth quarter can kind of direct his defensive energies on Steph. I think Toronto has, you know, multiple ways it can guard the Warriors. It can go very small and switch. Uh, it can play more nimble bigs. I don't think this is going to be a series for Marcus Hall. I've already written, I think they should start Serge Ibaka in game one. Uh, I think the Raptors should consider playing lineups with Siakam at center if the Warriors are running the Draymond Steph uh, pick and roll in the fourth quarter. So I think the Raptors, I think their path to victory is going to come with on the defensive end. Uh, how do they contain Curry? Uh, how do they you know, force these role players, the Jordan Bells, the Alfonso McKinney's, these guys who are playing 10, 11 minutes a night, how do they force the ball into their hands uh, without letting the Warriors play four on three, uh, without letting Steph go one-on-one against a Marcus Hole type? So that's going to be the Toronto's best chance, and I, I think that's only really doable uh, if Durant is out. Now, if Durant is playing, you know, Kawhi, the burden on him is going to be crazy. He's going to have to match up with Durant whenever he's on the floor. Uh, he's going to have to score 30 a night. And I just don't know that Toronto at that point, you know, you, you can just plug so many holes in the dam uh, before a, a, a leak springs. That's what the Warriors have been doing to guys for years. Uh, and I just don't think if Durant is healthy, t- Toronto can win this series. Yeah, look, I, it sounds simplistic, but everybody in that Raptors team has to play out of their minds. And I don't know, yeah. I, I don't know if I would play down to Golden State. I think I would start Gasol, regardless of what you see on the other side. And, you know, hope that the guy I mean, we isn't, saw... Isn't that what, what we saw with Cantor to an extent? Well, Gasol's different than Cantor. He's different, but I, I, I don't... I'm not came out and said, oh, you're definitely wrong. I just... I don't. I think I'd, I'd go with Ibaka and just, you know, get athleticism on the floor. Like, what, one thing Nick Nurse has done is that he's willing to adjust quickly. Right, yes. But Gasol played three great games at yeah. the end of those the conference finals. I think I'd give him a chance to go out there and he's a better defensive player than Cantor even at this stage of yeah. his career and he's making the three-point shot at a rate that Cantor couldn't. Uh, I, I think that's... I'd start... But everybody's got to play well, including Ka- Kawhi. I mean, he's got to have... A finals MVP, hands down type of series. Fred Van Vliet has to shoot the way he shot the last couple of games in that conference finals. Uh, Kyle Lowry has to play out of his mind. Like all these guys have to play great. They've got to win game one. I mean, it, if they don't win game one, it's, it sounds dumb. But they're not going to win that series. Like you can't give home court back to the to the uh, Golden State Warriors after the first game. It'd be too deflating for that team, especially as they're going to be getting their star players back and healthy as the series progresses. You've got to put them in a hole early on and make them start to think, make their jump shooters start to think a little bit more. Just put something in their mind, put some shadow of a doubt in their mind, because right now they're they're playing too well, to, and they're too rested to, to think otherwise. Yeah, I agree. I, I, I do think that, you know, the Warriors, something that would be hilarious, by the way, is them winning this series without Durant. Yeah. It, it's something I'm openly rooting for. I think if they're up 3-0, and like Durant's like, I'm ready to play, Nah, no chance. No chance. Like, ah, Kevin, you know, let's not risk it. You're a free agent this summer. We're looking out for you. That, to me, is the most interesting outcome of this series, by the way. Because if the Raptors win without Durant, that'd be great. Golden State would always, you know, always have that, you know, kind of chip in their back pocket, card in their back pocket. Uh, the Warriors winning without Durant would just be, just, you would be on, you know, first things first every morning, just raining fire if that happened, and I wouldn't even blame you. No, I wouldn't. On who? I, I just, I don't know. I don't even know. Just whatever you do on that show, you'd be yelling a lot. Uh, <laughs> Not sure what I'd be yelling about, but... 
But I that that is like one thing. They're that, not better without Kevin Durant. I know like they aren't. They aren't. They aren't. But that's just like one thing that like no one has really. People are kind of dancing around that a bit in their finals previews because they wanted to be a basketball, and I get it. But that would be objectively hilarious if the Warriors were to win this series without Durant. From BBC Radio Four, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my god. We've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. This is it. We've got an Amex Platinum Pro on our hands, ladies and gentlemen. We haven't seen anyone relax like this before in the Centurion Lounge. <sighs> is he connecting to complimentary Wi-Fi? Oh, my. Look at that. He is. And you will not believe where he's going next. The Amex dedicated card member entrance for the win. Unbelievable. When you get travel perks with Amex Platinum, you're part of the action. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet, that's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. Yeah, I, I look. I think they can, uh, but I do think if he is, as soon as he has the opportunity to play, they're going to welcome him back, and that's just going to be the way it is. Um, all right, let's talk about the team that Toronto's eliminated. The Milwaukee Bucks, great season, sixty win season, get to the conference finals, uh, lost four straight, but that's kind of how it goes for a young team that doesn't have a lot of experience at this uh, particular level. They've got a big summer coming up, Huge. and a lot of big dollar figures that they're going to have to throw around to retain some of these guys. You've got 60% of their starting lineup that's free hitting free agency, some key guys off the bench. How do they prioritize this? Because they've got to spend some money. And it begins probably with Chris Middleton and making sure that he gets locked up because there really isn't an opportunity to go out there and get anybody else. So you got to lock him up. But then you got to go down the list to Malcolm Brogdon, who's probably going to get a big restricted free agent offer. You've got uh, Brooke Lopez, the biggest bargain of 2018-19. Uh, he's going to get a bigger offer. How do they prioritize this this summer? This is fascinating. I, I think we talked about this. This is why it was really interesting to me that they re-signed Eric Bledsoe when they did during the season 
Bledsoe's not on an absurd contract or an absurd number or anything. He's just eating up valuable space. Because I think out of everyone on their team, let's say Bledsoe was were also to be a free agent this summer, the guy I think they should prioritize is Malcolm Brogdon. Uh, he's just the kind of player who, very good, you know, 50-40-90 guy, great during the regular season. Brogdon is also, I think, the kind of player that during a playoff series can't really be schemed off the floor. You, there's there's no way you can kind of highlight a, a fatal flaw in Brogdon's game. I mean, he was guarding Kawhi for stretches uh, in the Eastern Conference Finals. So Brogdon, I think, is, is the guy they want to get back because he, I think he's also going to come back at a somewhat more reasonable price than Chris Middleton. The way you know the function of you know kind of the NBA salary cap structure and and max salary structure, Chris Middleton is going to get a max offer this summer. Is he good enough to be the second highest paid player on a championship team, or would you rather have you know cheaper guys and you re-sign Malcolm Brogdon and it just gives you the flexibility to kind of find a better second guy at some point? It's why those front office guys are, are are paid the big bucks, and I'm sitting here talking about it. But those are very difficult decisions to make. I, I I do think Brogdon should be the priority. Lopez was great for them this season, and I'm not saying he's replaceable, but I think you can find a stretch five uh, type who I think may not cost you as much as Lopez. That that's the kind. Those are the kind of decisions they need to be making. You know, look at who's on the market, assign a number to them, and, and kind of figure out, hey, we can't go higher than this because. The reason why this is so important, if they get locked into a bad core, Giannis is in the same position as Anthony Davis is in, you know, next summer. He's going to have to decide if he wants to sign the Supermax extension. And if the Bucks have locked themselves into a mediocre core, he's going to want to leave. I mean, that, that's just the way it is. So, you know, as much as, as tempting as it sounds, hey, just bring everyone back, you know, pay them whatever. We have a great core. We just did see them struggle a little bit in a playoff series. I mean, Obviously, Fred Van Vliet shooting, maybe that changed all of it. But they just have to be very careful because if they lock themselves into something mediocre, that's going to put a lot of pressure on them to keep Giannis in a way that I'm I'm sure it's on the front office's mind. Yeah, I hear what you're saying, but I would still bring everybody back that you possibly can because if you're the Bucks front office and you're going into free agency, you look at what the competition could look like next year, and it's possible that Toronto is significantly worse. It's possible that Boston is significantly worse. It's possible, if the Sixers don't want to pay the price for all their free agents, that the Sixers are significantly worse. So you can look around and say, we may have lost in six games to Toronto, but what's our competition going to look like? If we bring this band back together and they show some organic growth, which they will, beginning with Giannis, why not? Why wouldn't it work? Now, maybe it's not championship level, but again, you have to remember that Golden State is probably not going to be Golden State next year. So... I think the door is open for this current group to make a run with it. And with Giannis being extension eligible next summer, that's all that matters. Like, it's not two, three years down the road. Next summer, Giannis can sign that five-year, $247 million extension, the richest contract in NBA history. You've got to do everything towards that moment. You have got to invest every nickel you have. And these owners, they're loaded. They are loaded. They bought the franchise for, what, $500 million? It's worth three times that now. They got a new arena. They got a new practice facility. They make all their money on the side. They have got the money to go deep in the luxury tax. And if what it's going to take to get Giannis is to go all in on one season, you do it. Because once you get Giannis signed to that five-year deal, 
that's really six, right? I mean, he's got the extra year at the end of the contract. You got him locked down, and you figure out the rest, and you deal with it because you won't. You can deal with it without having to be worried about Giannis walking away at a particular time. Yeah, that's a fair point. I, I do think the something you hit on that growth that that's something that I think is going to help them a lot. Just Giannis having some kind of counter to the way teams defended him in the playoffs this year is going to be very big. I don't. I don't know that I disagree with you. I, I do think the Bucks, if they were to bring everyone back, and like you mentioned, this perfect storm scenario in the East, where maybe everyone gets a little worse, they could easily be in the finals. They could have very easily been in the finals this year. It's just going to be a little bit more delicate of a balance, I think, in making sure Giannis is happy because things seem great right now. But I just, and I'm sure the front office is. It's very much on the forefront of their mind. They have to make sure they, they kind of hit all the right buttons with him because those things do turn kind of quickly. And you're already seeing some of the, you know, I know Malik Andrews wrote a piece right after the the uh, series ended where basically saying it would behoove the Bucks to get to the finals next year. <laughs> yeah. You've already seen some of that. I just, I mean, I'd have, a, I'd have a hard time seeing Giannis walk everything he said back. Like he, I mean, I guess it's happened before with, you know, Durant yeah. and, and others who have said they're going to stay in a particular place, but... Giannis is so tied to that franchise and that community, where whether it's his family moving over there, his brothers playing basketball in that area. He's just so rooted in that part of the country and in that organization. It, and look, that money's money. Like, that's real. Right. I mean, and it's not going to take him until the end of his career either. It takes him until he's like 29 or yeah, something like I that. I will 30. say, if there's something that does change in that, it's playoff defeats when you feel like you should have won. Yeah. And I'm not sure they should have won that That's series. True. They won I the agree. first two games, like, yeah, yeah. but that means nothing. You, right. you series starts. I think we we grow. both had it in this playoffs. Not sour on Milwaukee, but a little hesitant. I was a little sour. Yeah. I thought they were more a regular season team, Agreed. largely because Agreed. my skepticism of Brooke Lopez for sure uh, was extended. And I just thought they I thought they were too inexperienced. They hadn't experienced that heartbreak yet. Yeah, that's a part of the journey. But if if, if he feels like he's not going to get past that, then I could see him maybe wanting to win because I think he also cares deeply about winning. Yeah. All right. Let me finish with this. The uh, Houston Rockets, uh, they're, I, I kind of liken what they're doing to Mike D'Antoni to Milton in office space, where it's <laughs> like, we're just getting rid of your coaches and seeing if you're going to quit. As we speak, there's been no contract extension for Mike D'Antoni. What do you make of how the Rockets have, have treated him and his coaching staff, basically making the coaching staff the fall guys for what happened in the playoffs last year? It's very strange. It's very strange. And I'm, I'm curious if... Does the Rockets front office believe that D'Antoni should have adapted his offense, uh, you know, in that Golden State series? Because it seems like D'Antoni is coaching to what the front office has always wanted there. Uh, it's such a weird situation. And, I, you know, I've seen, you know, local Rockets writers kind of talk about, you know, is this narrative that Tillman Fertitta is kind of cheap or whatever fair? I'm just skeptical. I'm skeptical of, of him and the choices they've made so far. Uh you know, from letting Trevor Reza go last summer, I'm not saying he was a cure-all or a fix-all, but that just sends a bad message to guys when you're not, you know, willing to go deep into the luxury tax and you have a team that, you know, is on the precipice of beating the Warriors. Don't you want to invest as much as you can in there? D'Antoni, I don't think D'Antoni is married to the, the current style of basketball the Houston Rockets are playing. If anything, I'd bet he'd love to play more of a motion offense or, or what he made famous uh, with the Phoenix Suns. So, I'm just really skeptical of, of, of Rockets' ownership right now. Uh, it doesn't make sense to me that there would be a rift between the front office and D'Antoni, if only because I think D'Antoni has coached the team to the exact specifications of what the front office would want. I, 
and then the you when do you see this when do you ever see this this kind of clearing out of assistant coaches uh especially to someone like d'antoni as much experience as he has as long as he's been a coach i mean this isn't uh some rookie head guy or you know even a frank vogel type who's you know hasn't had as much success that maybe the front office and ownership has some more input on his staff it's crazy for a guy with this level of pedigree that the front office is meddling this much and to me it just doesn't bode well for his future yeah and look when mike d'antoni was first brought in a few years ago it was my understanding that he wasn't a consensus choice uh, of the organization all that being said he has adapted his style which is more of a free-flowing offensive style that we saw in phoenix and to a degree uh in new york and tailored it to what makes the most sense for the rockets i do think that game six was bitterly disappointing for everybody involved you're on your home floor kevin durant is out you're in the bet you're in almost a reverse position from last year where chris ball goes out last year and all of a sudden the warriors come back to beat the rockets now you have kevin durant out and it gives you that same opportunity to fail on your home floor in Game 6, that was hard to take for a lot of people in the organization. This can only end one of two ways. They either have to extend Mike D'Antoni, which I think is still possible. like They could still give him a multi-year contract extension and keep him around with his group. He wants to be there, and I think that's still possible. Or they've got to fire him. Agreed. Because he's not going to be able to assemble a top-flight staff as a lame-duck coach. No top-level assistants are going to take a job where it's just a one-year contract. You're just not going to get them. Like you're, There's too much competition for the top guys that are out there. So you've got to extend Mike D'Antoni and then let him go out or go out with him and start to hire a, a, a better coaching staff, maybe more defensive-minded, whatever you want to do. I do find it fascinating that Jeff Pizdilic has gone from being like the guy they needed to come back savior, in November yes. to first man out the door. I also think they... I, you know, they, I thought they made a mistake firing Irv Roland, who is you know been a, a terrific player development coach for a long time. Hey, he's close with James, Harden, very close yeah. with James Harden, has done a lot of good things in a player development role. But whatever, you got to either extend him or you got to fire him. Simple as that. Like you can't go into next season with him as a lame duck coach. And I just don't get it because I don't think D'Antoni has been the problem here uh, in, in, in any way whatsoever. Again, I think he has, you know, funneled the ethos of the organization onto what we're seeing, you know, on the court. I, I, he doesn't strike me as someone who's not willing to change, not willing to adapt, especially when it comes to winning. You know, it's not like he's being asked to, you know, change some style. He wants to beat the Warriors as much as anyone else. I, it's frustrating to me the way Houston's, you know, season has played out because they've, they've really blown a couple of great opportunities now. And they're at a point where they're reaching a little bit of a, interesting situation with what's happening with Chris Paul, the way his game is aged, how much money he's owed, how much money Clint Capella's owed. Uh, I don't think they have any, any real opportunity to change the roster significantly. Yeah. So so in that regard, I kind of understand what a, what a coaching change do something, but a kind of theme we've talked about, if all these teams are theoretically getting worse, Golden State, you know, some of your best competitions taking a hit, you know, why do drastic things right now? I understand that loss was hard to take, but the way D'Antoni has kind of drawn the blame responsibility, it just doesn't make sense to me. No, I, I don't think so. Either. Plus, you're, you're rolling the dice that the next coach, whoever that may be, too. Like, there aren't a lot of great coaches. Yeah, who are they going to get? Like, who's the like, answer? Are going to go get Ty Lue and give him a five-year right, yeah. deal? Like, are you, I mean, right now, the best coaches are taken. 
You're just not going to find that top guy out there. Maybe you can get an assistant from somewhere. It just doesn't make a lot of sense. That's why I think, if I had to guess, I think this ends with Mike D'Antoni getting extension. Maybe it's not for the three years he wanted, whatever it was that he wanted, but maybe it's a two-year extension on top of the deal that he has right now for next season. It'll take him for through three more years, which gives you some flexibility. If you don't want him around after next season, you can let him go and deal with it that way. So. We'll see what happens with the Rockets. Uh, Rohan, always appreciate it, man. Thanks for joining me. Um, I assume you got the email from upper management that you're staying in the a- aftermath of the sale? Yes, hopefully. hopefully. Oh, you didn't get the email? No, no, I didn't oh. get the email. Sorry, man. Sorry. But, you know, I already have a ton of ideas about, you know, the way we could license the SI brand. Oh, you do? Okay. Like Sports Illustrated hair gel, you know, and they got your face on it. All over that. Yeah, That's, yeah. I know. I don't doubt it. Best yeah. hair in the building. Come on. I don't know about in the building, but... <laughs> In the office? In, in the current podcast room, maybe. I'll give you that, yeah. <laughs> uh, thanks for joining, man. I appreciate Anytime, it. Anytime, man. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment... Oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. With your Amex card, entertainment benefits like special ticket access and pre-sales to select can't miss events while supplies last, make every tap music to your ears. At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Pet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER.